Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. The race is on, and the Bahrain Grand Prix didn't disappoint with a dramatic finish and a superb victory for Lewis Hamilton in a race that seemed destined to be won by Max Verstappen. What a start to the title battle we all so desperately want to see. I'm Ed Straw, and joining me to look back at one of the best season-opening races of the 21st century are Scott Mitchell and Mark Hughes. The Race F1 podcast is brought to you by Escapade Living. Escapade is redefining the race experience through the integration of hospitality, track access and lifestyle. Escapade Silverstone will overlook the famous Cops Corner and Maggots and Beckett's Complex and offer the ultimate private space that can be enjoyed with friends and family. It heralds a new era of motorsport adventures. To find out more, go to escapadeliving.com. No dashes or hyphens, escapadeliving.com. Scott Mitchell... Plenty of escapades going on at the Bahrain Grand Prix, weren't there? Fantastic on-track action. Yep, very good. I see what you did there, Ed. Um, it was it was brilliant. Um, I'm trying to think of a season opener that I've enjoyed as much as that in in, in recent years. I can't really think of one. I know that we had um, we had some pretty good ones, didn't we? When especially the Ferraris, when Sebastian Vettel was 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 nicking a, a first race win that, that that were good, but but nothing like that. And um, I was actually amazed to learn post-race it's Lewis's first opening race win since 2015 which just feels ridiculous <laughs> and Mark it's just great isn't it we talked on the podcast so many times in the build-up to the season just how much we wanted to have Verstappen and Hamilton battling and there's always that thinking of oh it's going to be too good to be true but then we had it in this race didn't we right down to the checkered flag Hamilton versus Verstappen a, a race we'll remember for a long time yeah, and it was the outcome was in doubt pretty much the whole way through, wasn't it? Which was just fantastic. Um, and yeah, I think the Red Bull probably was a little bit faster, um, but a sort of combination of some strategic boldness from Mercedes and a, a perfectly judged drive from Hamilton under the circumstances um, just just swung it. But it, it was by no means a done deal uh, until very, very close to the end. Well... As always in our race reviews, let's delve into the details of the race first before we look at the, the wider picture. It all went as expected in qualifying. Max Verstappen, pole position, then leading in the first stint. But then Mercedes and Hamilton stole a march on Red Bull and Verstappen by pitting at the end of lap 13. And this was where it got interesting, wasn't it, Mark? Yeah, exactly. So um, Red Bull kept um, Max out there for another four laps in, in the, that first stint. Um, and then um, as, uh, as they went through to the second stint of the, the two-stop race, um, Mercedes brought Lewis in just before Max could undercut him, and then that allowed Red Bull to do a, to run very, very long, so another 10 laps longer, um, which brought him out 8.8 seconds behind Lewis uh, with 15 laps to go, but on much, much newer, faster tyres. 
And so it was then that was, you know, everything was then set up perfectly with the, the faster car chasing down the slower car and what was going to happen and how is it going to end? And, you know, uh, and, and then there was like another little twist in the tail after that. Perfect ingredients for a, for a motor race. But just looking at that strategic decision, the initial one that started it all, it's very, very easy to say that Red Bull should have preempted it and taken the stop first to cover the undercut. But obviously, when you're the chaser, it's very easy to force the issue, isn't it? So do you think we can realistically say Red Bull should have taken that? Obviously, looking back in hindsight, you could always be the perfect strategist. But do you think Red Bull will be kicking themselves for not anticipating that? I think they probably felt they had enough performance in hand um, that, you know, even even if they lost track position, they could get it back. Um, but it turned out not not to be so. Uh, I think, yeah, in hindsight, if they'd stopped at the same time um, it, they, on, on lap 13, end of lap 13, um, yes, that, that would have laid the foundations for a, for a victory in, in all likelihood. Um, but they, there was a hazard in doing that, and that had made the... Um, Remaining laps, a lot of laps to do um, on your remaining rubber. And so it was by no means obviously the right thing for Mercedes to do when they did it. It was just they were in the position where there was no downside risk. They were far enough ahead of the others that, you know, they were going to, if it went wrong, they're going to finish second and third. And if it went right, they might win. So why not? It's the sort of decision that you saw. Red Bull make over the previous years when it when it was the chaser and Mercedes had to be conservative. It's just a reflection of uh, how competitive the car is. And then, of course, when you've got a closer performance gap, that's when it gets much more interesting because once you gain that track position, it's more possible to hold on to it. But Scott, let's get into the final battle. There was the period of, of Verstappen kind of chipping away at, at Hamilton, and then it was always going to come down to those, those dramatic late laps. Let's look at lap 54. Verstappen attacked into turn one. Hamilton did a really good job there, I thought, of just creating just enough uncertainty on the approach. He, he left his commitment of where he was going nice and late, all perfectly legal, but making it as hard as possible. But then, of course, Verstappen had the run into turn four, and then came the off-track pass. Yeah, I um, I, I thought Max had got it done, um, but but not quite. He, he, he ran deep into the corner. I think he had a little wobble as well. And that just carried him all four wheels onto the runoff behind the red and white exit curb, um, which meant that he completed the move off track. Uh, looked like he'd done it, but then a couple of corners later, uh, he engineer came over the radio and said that uh, he needed to give the the place back to to, to Hamilton um, immediately. Max did it. There was no no hesitation, no um, no gamesmanship either. Waiting a few corners, giving Hamilton the place out of turn 13 or something and then DRS blast passing him on the blasting past him on, on, on the main straight. Um, after the race, he was obviously very vocal and initially said that he'd rather have, he'd rather have basically won the race and then lost the victory because of a penalty for the illegal pass than finished second the way he did. But with the way the rules were, the way the rules have always been in formula one, uh, four wheels off the track to complete the pass as blatant, especially when it's as blatant as that you can't even argue it um, that that move was always going to be uh, against the rules yeah well as soon as it happened I said to you Scott via our chat mechanism of course we're in different places I'm in Bahrain you're uh, you're in your now native uh, Sweden but I said oh, he's got to give that back in a way the fact he did it so sharply counted against him because he then lost a little bit of ground didn't he it was I think turn 13 he had a little bit of a moment 
And then thereafter, he never quite got back into it, did he, Mark, in terms of that battle? That's right. I mean, he'd, give, he'd, he'd t- taken the best from his tyres by then. And um, that little moment at turn 13 was was really just a little indication that they, um, you know, that they were, they were past their best and uh, that he'd, he'd used them up in, in chasing Lewis down. And that's that's where Hamilton's drive was so perfectly judged because you can't just drive flat out. You're going to, you're going to be... You, be using up the tires far too quickly to do that, um, but you, you've got to you've got to keep up a reasonable pace. And Verstappen had the same challenge. He's he's got it. He knows he's got a catch, and he, he hasn't got very many laps left. But he can't go flat out either because the tires will just um, give up before he even gets there. So he's got to try and judge it. So there's still just some life left in the tires by the time he arrives on his tail, and he got that bit done perfectly. And then, but of course the when the move came and he had to give it back, there was then nothing left. And um, so, yeah, that was, I, th- I think Lewis was surprised that um, the challenge didn't happen all over again. Um, but it's, uh, yeah, I think um, it was just un- unfortunate the way it all, the way it all played out. I think um, there was a, they were lapping someone as they went up to turn four as well. And weren't they? It was, a, it was an alpha. Yeah, it was an alpha. Yeah. Was it, was it right? I forget which one, but it was certainly an alpha. Romero, yeah. Yes. And I think that probably played its part as, as well. You know, it sort of got in the way a little bit with the with the airflow. Um, so, yeah, just all those things came together at the decisive moment in the race and it played out the way it did. And coming back to the, the off-track pass, Scott, just to close that side of things down, obviously some people say, why couldn't he just stay ahead and take a five-second penalty and it's down to him to pull a, a gap. Is there any argument for the fact that this should have been allowed to play out that way rather than the way it did? Um, I no, I I think uh, I think it was very clear. Uh, I think it was very clear that it needed to happen the way it did. Um, partly because that was just uh, apart from it just always being that way, it also been explicitly communicated to the drivers uh, beforehand as well. Because we've had this, we've had this situation with turn four track limits this weekend where um, it where it was changed after FP1 for starters. Uh, for F- FP1, we started the weekend with the same lenient track limit rules that were introduced mid-weekend last year, which meant that you could basically run all four wheels off uh, at turn four. But then after FP1, that was changed. And then for the rest of practice, including qualifying, drivers had to, uh, they weren't allowed to cut behind that red and white curb. But within that same instruction, when that was changed, it did explicitly state that it did explicitly state that for for the race, it would be back to track limits not being monitored at turn four. That's all it said in the event notes. But what we've subsequently learned through speaking to the drivers and then also hearing from FIA race director Michael Mazzi, that not being monitored at turn four, what that meant in practice was that you could go off there without gaining a lasting advantage. Now, the problem, as a few people have pointed out, is that there are all sorts of advantages to to, to running all four wheels off track. You can gain an advantage every lap of, what is it, 56 lap Grand Prix or whatever it is. If you go wide there 56 times and you gain a tenth every time that's a decent amount of time to gain over the course of the race if you're not having to stress the tires so much holding it tight on exit are you saving a little bit of rubber um over the course of the grand prix as well there are always advantages to be gained 
in this context, the crucial thing is that gaining a lasting advantage was defined as overtaking someone. So drivers should have gone into the Grand Prix knowing that they could basically run wide at turn four on their own uh, pretty much as many times as they want and then not be a problem with it. But if they overtook someone on the outside and went off track to complete that pass, then that would not be allowed. And it was agreed that Mazzi would then get on the radio to the team and advise them that they uh, instruct the driver to swap positions. Otherwise, it would be referred to the stewards and it would almost certainly be a slam dunk, whatever time penalty is necessary to swap those positions back afterwards. So I don't see any, based on what was laid out, I don't see any reason for this to have had a different conclusion. Um, and I I would never advocate that a track a pass that's completed off track be allowed to stand i don't like the idea of um max going to the end winning on track and then losing it to the penalty because i just think that's just unbecoming for, for for various reasons it was dealt with immediately which i like the bit that i don't agree with is the track limit rules changing the way they did and i don't agree with there being differences and inconsistencies in the application of the track limits rules i think that's needless i think it's confusing i think it's silly and i think it's a bit murky as well um it just we had this amazing finish to the grand prix what was a brilliant grand prix two two brilliant drivers two brilliant teams going absolute hell for leather for the win and then at the end you still find yourself mired in a needless controversy around track limits that should never have been allowed to enter the conversation so that's the bit that I don't like and don't agree with. Well, to be fair, Scott, it's not like they previously had a Grand Prix here a few months ago and had three days of testing two weeks ago or anything to get it sorted out. So, you know, why should it be set? But yeah, it's frustrating. It's just that confusion that's caused is is needless and just needs to be got on top of. That corner has been there for a long time. It shouldn't be constantly uh, changing. I like the idea of having a bit of... Um like a curb and then beyond the curb you have a bit of grass so that slows you down so there's no advantage in being there and then if you really you know take the mickey and try and miss that you just land up in the gravel that would be a great way of doing it wouldn't it yeah those days are those days are well behind us though aren't they mark yeah <laughs> much better system though wasn't it <laughs> I mean, it was oh, it was a way 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 better system Oh, unbelievable! Undeniably, I think the the alternative, which is what you know, a bunch of people always point out, which was the same for Max's overtake, and it was the same for Lewis running wide there. What I think it was like twenty nine times out of fifty six. If there was a wall there, they wouldn't be Max wouldn't do that overtake around the around the outside, would he? <laughs> he certainly wouldn't have pulled it off. So, um, it's just these are just the trap limits that that that, that we have, and they. They're just so inconsistent on what the deterrents are and sort of how you police it. It's just becoming maddening, to be honest, because it's not like this is a new debate. And it's a shame that we're having to talk about it, given we had such an amazing finish. But just to wrap up this this battle itself, Mark, how good do we think Hamilton's management of that that final stint was? How good was Verstappen's chase? Sometimes we complain it's been a bit too easy for Hamilton in some races, although when it comes down to it and he has to fight, he generally comes over very, very well and, and does a good job. But it, do, do you think this this counts as Hamilton putting one over Verstappen or do you think Verstappen was a victim of the the, the situation of the race? I think it's a combination of uh, team and driver in this case, um, in both cases. Um, the, the pit wall bought Lewis an advantage uh, um, 
uh, you know, it, 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 it track um, position advantage. And he just parlayed that perfectly. He just did a perfect job for the rest of the day. Um, and you couldn't criticize any aspect of his drive. Um, whereas Max was put at a, a strategic advantage, disadvantage, um, and had to try and make amends. And so necessarily was uh, set for a, a busier, more attacking race uh, than, than, than Lewis. And so obviously if you're the aggressor and the chaser and the one trying to put the moves, you're more likely to be a little bit scrappy and, um, you know, make, make more more errors. It's, it's just the situation, the circumstances that you, you put in. So it's never just um, it's just a driver does does this and that driver does that. And that's, you know, th therefore that driver's better. It's just different performances on the day in, in slightly different situations. Um, they, they were both fantastic drivers. They were both uh, delivered a fantastic um, performance all weekend. We just got to hope that the relative competitiveness of the of the cars allows this to keep going because it could be fantastic if it swings from one weekend to the next and we get more battles like this. That's just what everybody's uh, everybody's dreaming of. But let's look at the the wider picture, Mark, because we went into this weekend expecting Red Bull to have the edge on performance, and that was the case. Verstappen was on pole by point three eight eight seconds, and we've discussed they probably should have won the race or at least. Could have won the race. So given the progress Mercedes made between testing and the race, we do have a more understanding of the relative performance, the reasons for it, but it actually stretches beyond those aerodynamic limitations, doesn't it? It's a really fascinating picture. It is, yeah. And I mean, there's there's um, quite a bit of talk, probably quite justified, about um, have the new regulations hurt the low-rake long cars like the Mercedes and the Aston Martin more than it has the, the, the shorter high-rake cars like the Red Bull. Um, and there's probably an element of that, and uh, certainly uh, the the GP GPS analysis suggested that the Red Bull was taking heaps of time off the Mercedes into turn ten, which is that tricky downhill breaking into the hairpin, um, taking quite a lot of time out of it through turns five and six. You know the fast um, sweeps down the hill. Uh, with, they were pretty much equal everywhere else, um, but the Honda was deploying its power for longer, and the the Mercedes was derating earlier. So that's that's in, inverted from last year. So I think we've got to um, give Honda a, a lot of the credit for this turnaround. Um, but it's clearly also a a very good car, and it has been a, a very effective adaptation to the new regulations. And the Mercedes perhaps hasn't. Been quite as effective, so yeah, it, it is. It is fascinating, but like, we we get a, a better picture after we've had a, a bigger sample of circuits, as always. And um, Bahrain is very, very power sensitive. It, 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 it'll uh, power advantage will give you a, a bigger lap time gain at Bahrain than most other tracks. Um, so if Mercedes is a little bit down on Honda and power, it'll hurt them here. Um, there's probably not that many tracks that we're going to that have got that, such a tricky downhill combined braking and turning as, as that approach to turn 10, which clearly the Mercedes is not very good at. Um, but I'm just trying to think if there's anything equivalent. There's nothing jumping out at me. Is there's anything quite as extreme as that in that demand? So, yeah, we, we, we've probably seen the, the Mercedes 
at its one of the toughest venues it's, it's going to face. Even even if it even if it didn't even if you just froze the specifications of the cars as they are, I would expect to see um, a slightly different pattern as we we go to different circuit layouts, um, and that's monitoring how that plays out over the next oh, two or three venues is probably going to be um, very revealing. And um, I would think probably if we get Imola, Portimao and Barcelona out of the way, we, we could probably get a pretty good read on the two cars and what sort of season we're likely to have. Yeah, it's a nice set of, of circuits to look at. But mention of the the, the derating advantage, or rather derating disadvantage that the Mercedes had, Scott, You've talked a lot about the Honda games and everything we saw in Bahrain shows that it's absolutely justified how upbeat they've been about the progress made. Uh, yes, but um, I think there were also a couple of hints at how much of a risk they've taken with these so many revisions and the aggressive gains that they've sought for performance. It has opened the door for some fresh reliability concerns. Um I saw a couple of things that caught my eye. One was the systems issue that uh, hit Yuki Tsunoda's car, um, which I think was at the end of FP2. Um, I believe that is something that Honda has been aware of before, uh, but they're not in, they weren't entirely sure, I don't think, over the weekend if it was exactly what they'd seen um, on the dyno. Um, and the other thing was the fact that um, both Pierre Gasly and Sergio Perez, their respective cars, had to have new control of that electronics and, and, and batteries in them so I don't think they were related I'm, I'm told that they weren't and I'm told that the Perez change was entirely precautionary um, they didn't see anything that was a major concern but they just did it because it was better to not take the risk um, I I don't think that was particularly um, encouraging I didn't really understand ex- the full extent of uh, Verstappen's problem um, that he was complaining about during the Grand Prix, but that seemed to be related uh, initially to one side of the car. I think he was complaining about a differential problem. Um, and then l- later in the race, there seemed to be some kind of like mismatch with what was showing on his dash. I don't think he was having the... Um, I can't remember which part it was now, but I think it was that there was a, basically a sort of diff entry setting that he was in that wasn't showing on the dash. So... Some little things there, but I I've, I couldn't tell you whether that was a Red Bull thing or a Honda thing or a both thing. So um, I, I think there were I think there were a lot of positives. I think the fact that they have seen, do seem to reverse this ERS trend is positive. That might well just be sort of a Mercedes miscalibration because when um sort of I asked a couple of people about that and the suggestion did seem to be that that was um, where the Merc was um, clipping on the straight. Uh, earlier than the, than than the Honda, but it was better than it was at testing. So this problem obviously existed in testing as well, but was improved for this race, which does suggest that there is some sort of fine tuning that can go on there. We know that there isn't performance upgrades allowed this year, so any deficit Mercedes might have now on the power unit side, they'll have to hope isn't a fundamental one and is more about making sure that the package is working optimally. Uh, but yeah, I think. While there were a couple of concerns as outlined, I think this was really, really encouraging for Honda. They said it was almost miraculous what they were able to do in about six months to actually ready this engine. Um, I was quite pleased after writing that headline that they didn't then expire at the first attempt, to be honest. But I think it's a very good start for the um, for the new power unit. 
And then against this backdrop, there's, of course, the development war that'll be going on. We've talked about that on previous podcasts. I need to balance it with 2022, but aero development is free now. Mark, quickly, we should touch on the fact that it does appear to have hurt the low-rate cars more. And, of course, trying to back out of that, you can't just jack up the rear of the car, can you? And suddenly everything works brilliantly. So it'll come down to a question for how aggressive Mercedes feels it needs to be in trying to to push the envelope there and, and make some gains without compromising next year. And that, that could become a big storyline and really influential in this championship battle, couldn't it? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's a, there's a physical limitation in how far they could go with increasing the rake. They've already increased it um, compared to last year. Um, and it seems that you need uh, a, a lot more um, volume of air under, under the rear of the car than you did with last year's regulations in order to compensate um, for the the cut in the floor, so yeah, I mean it's um, it's really that that's that seems to be quite um, a concrete limitation, doesn't it, uh, for for this year? And so it's a question of how they can develop around that rather than um, uh, you know changing changing the whole philosophy of the car because they even if they wanted to, which I doubt very much they would, because. It would typically be a, a, a one or two year uh, development process to completely change philosophy. Um, even if they wanted to, they couldn't because of the the freeze on um, on uh, homologated parts, and uh, you, you physically you couldn't do it on either the the Mercedes or the the Aston uh, any further than they already are um, because of the rear suspension. The phys- just to phys- you know you physically couldn't get the suspension to to do that. Yeah, and it's going to be interesting to see how it ebbs and flows across the circuits, as we've as we've talked about. The dream is that uh, that it genuinely does ebb and flow between the two sides. But it's been a, a great start to uh, the championship battle, and let's hope we see more of it in the coming races. Scott, we've now reached the inevitable point in the podcast where we have a moment of sympathy for Valtteri Bottas. Yes, he was unfortunate with that pit stop that cost him time, but ultimately a couple of tenths off Hamilton in qualifying. Once again, Casters, to use his least favourite word, the wingman of the piece. I don't think we're especially surprised, but solid run to third, mandatory point for fastest lap, which always irritates me. But yeah, that, that's about what, what we'd expect, isn't it? Yeah, there's not really a lot to add. I mean, um, I, I, I got the impression actually that whatever the outcome was going to be from this race, like there, there was a point when obviously the first time Lewis inherited track position well not inherited obviously he earned it with the undercut but when he got that track position it was kind of like well even this is even if this is a forlorn attempt to beat Verstappen it's only going to be Lewis that does it because Bottas just never seemed to be able to sort of drag the car to the levels that Hamilton was and in the race itself I thought I actually thought Hamilton's best stint because the final stint was really, really good under pressure. But I actually thought, like, outright pace-wise, I thought the first stint was really good to be just... He didn't really let Verstappen get away, whereas Bottas was kind of, like, hanging on a, a little bit. And I didn't feel like Bottas was ever likely to force the issue, which is obviously a bit of a Bottas trait. I don't want to be unfair to him. Obviously, he never had the chance to have a say in the final outcome because of what happened with the pit stop. So... um one of those races for for, for for Bottas. I thought that you said, didn't you, Ed, that like Bottas sort of came into this season saying, oh, he's going to try and do things his way and 
maybe sort of enforce a little bit of his will on the team and then in qualifying he complains about needlessly wasting a set of softs and then in the race he's obviously has to play the team game on on strategy so it's sort of in in one weekend Bottas's big off-season intention to come back and sort of make this be a bit more selfish when he needs to be this didn't happen this weekend I think on the other hand this really wasn't the weekend to be selfish if Mercedes was going to overthrow Verstappen and Red Bull they really needed to have all hands on deck so as much as he doesn't like being the wingman that was the best role Bottas could play here but there was a contrasting story in the second Red Bull with the de facto number two there Sergio Perez fifth place Scott but he must have absolutely felt the sky had fallen in on him when the car cut out on the formation lap, having not even made it into into Q3. So he probably thought he had no chance of getting meant. So he, he was pulled up, steering wheel off, about to, about to get out of the car when he finally managed to get it going again. Yeah, I said there's few, there aren't many cars that have um, gone on to finish a race fifth, having uh, been seconds away from being parked into retirement. It was almost like... Uh, Perez sort of realising the car was turning back on and he sort of stopped the marshals from rolling the car away, got it fired back up. Um, and then obviously he had to start from the pit lane as well. Uh, but it was it was a great drive. I followed every lap of Perez's race on board um, and he was just, he was really, really good at not getting bogged down behind another car pr- pretty m- until he caught the Alfa Romeos, which I think at the time would have been running either 9th and 10th or 10th and 11th. Every car he got up to, he passed almost immediately. There was never... He never basically gave himself time to lose tyre life or speed, you know, struggling in the wake of the other car and start following their lines and breaking points. And, you know, in... So you see sometimes drivers get sort of almost sucked into following the rhythm of the car in front. Perez didn't do any of that, so he was really, really decisive and he got into the points pretty quickly. He was obviously helped by that early safety car that helped him get onto the back of the queue. Um, but I just thought he was brilliant. There were there were moments, not just like, oh, one lap every 20. There were chunks of that race where his pace in clear air was matching Verstappen or it was a tenth off Verstappen and you know, a few laps where he was quicker than Verstappen. So I thought race pace wise, but for someone who hasn't looked comfortable, entirely comfortable or up to speed, and who has been talking about taking four or five races to get up to speed, definitely over one lap, there's a lot of work to do. He doesn't look comfortable. He can't, he needs to adjust his driving style and he has openly admitted that. But he actually looked in this race, I would say every bit as good as I think Red Bull was hoping he would be when he's up to speed. So I I don't think he's got a huge amount of work to do in terms of what he has to do on a Sunday. I think as we suspected, the big question mark is going to be what he can do in qualifying. But I think that race should have dispelled any notion that Perez would struggle to get into that car and do a better job than the second car did last year at times with Alex Albon, because that was a, that was a really, really good drive. Obviously, it helps to have the car underneath you, but yeah, what a drive from Perez. But the thing that I liked about Perez this weekend is he knows he's still got work to do, but he's been very, very even and sensible. There's been no excuses. He knows there's still stuff to work on. He wasn't too low after qualifying, but equally he wasn't too on a high after the race. 
I uh, asked him a few questions after the after the race, uh, just after the TV pan, and he was he could have been much more super upbeat with it if you like, but he was just no, yeah, positive about the race pace. I can feel more things clicking, but you can see the kind of cogs are whirring there with him. He's thinking, oh, I can improve this, improve this, improve this. So I think he's got that quite well under control in terms of the trajectory. And although qualifying ultimately didn't go well, two medium runs in Q2, time deleted on the first one, wasn't quick enough anyway, and then didn't get it together on the on the second lap. Single lap pace is gonna is gonna take a little bit of time to come. He seems on a on a sensible pathway. Uh, are you a sort of thumbs up or thumbs down for Perez on this first weekend, Mark? A thumbs up generally, yeah. Yeah, I did sort of uh, concur with everything Scott said there. Um you know the 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 contrast between uh, getting the absolute last little bit of out of the car and the tires in, in qualifying and then looking after the the tires in a, a tire deg race, which Bahrain always is, it, it, it's quite a different challenge and it's quite it's quite different. So we I think we'll get a better reading two or three races in. Um because that's that's where his challenge is. It's on a Saturday against Max. I don't think anybody's ever had any doubt that he could do a good job on a Sunday. Um, it's just how quickly he can sort of adapt himself to the new car. And that's been a bit of a theme this whole weekend because there's so many drivers and new teams and there's been so little preparation, you know, because of the, the limited testing that it's been a bit of a theme. You, you've heard Alonso saying it, you've heard Perez saying it, heard Ricardo saying it, you know, Seb, you know, just I'm not quite there yet. It's it, it's not you know it, it's not in my muscle memory. It's, I'm not doing everything automatically with it yet. I need a couple of races or three or four races before that's going to click into place. And I think um, yeah, that that's been one of the one of the the themes of the whole weekend. And of course, Perez fifth place. The front of the midfield was just ahead of him in in fourth place. Lando Norris. So let's try and make some sense of that midfield battle. Mark Lando Norris actually drove really well to get that fourth place. He had to make some moves early on including passing the qualifying star, Charles Leclerc. And it seems to be those two teams, McLaren and Ferrari, plus Alfa Tari, that are at the front of that group, given Daniel Ricciardo was seventh and Carlos Sainz Jr. was eighth. Gasly, of course, went missing. And then, although we had them occasionally getting a bit involved at the back of that group with Aston Martins and Alpines and and the like, there, do, there does seem to be that sort of split in the midfield, doesn't there? Yeah, and um, it... I don't think we saw the full potential of Alpha Tauri. I mean, we saw it like regularly through the weekend, but it didn't didn't obviously come together for them in the race. Um, I think you know that they. I think we'd expect to be seeing the Alpha Tauri in among the Ferrari and the McLaren uh, going forward. They're a little bit off the the back of the of Mercedes. They're not they're not in a position to challenge Mercedes. Um, but yeah, that's that's an interesting little little battle, I would say, between those three teams. Um, they seem to have sort of pulled themselves clear of the Alpine Aston Alpha group just behind. Yeah, after the race, Spencer Lando Norris asked him about whether that brief period at the start of the race, when he was tracking Leclerc, showed him that fundamentally the McLaren is the stronger car, and he basically said, "Well, yeah, on race pace." This weekend, yes, but we've still got some work to do on on qualifying pace. I suspect that was slightly distorted by just Leclerc on another qualifying special. He's just brilliant at just dancing on the limit of the car, isn't he? Just just really, really, really good at putting together those those ace laps. And of course, Gasly was fifth on the grid behind him. So 
as expected, yeah, good good start for for McLaren. And of course, Ricardo was saying he struggled a tiny bit with the tire management. He's still not quite on top of the car, but overall, really happy with how well he slotted in. And he he said he was ahead of where he was with Renault at this stage, one race in. So very positive from from that respect. So I think we'll see some really interesting battles uh, among this group. And it will be nice to see Alpha Tauri involved when it's got Gasly. His absence was self-inflicted, wasn't it? He clipped the back of Daniel Ricciardo and that ruined his race. Yeah, just tripped up in um, when when running so close together and he broke the front broke the front wing, uh, went off uh, for, uh, over the runoff and I think damaged the floor as well. So obviously came back in and got the new front wing but struggled with the car the rest of the race. I think he retired four laps from the finish. So yeah, from w- what was looking like no guarantee of points, obviously, but what was looking like it was going to be a mega haul from Alpatari at one stage this weekend. Um, there's ended up being, what, just a couple of points for debutant uh, Yuki Sonoda. So even though Sonoda didn't qualify in the top 10, obviously he was able to make it into the in, into the points, but Gasly starting from fifth, even, even yeah, without... Sonoda being as high up the grid as he should have been, given the pace that they had, it, it still should have been a good haul for this team. And um, they've they've missed the opportunity, so they will be hoping they will be hoping that at Imola, the pace is still there and they can put together a much cleaner, uh, much cleaner performance when it counts because they were so rapid, and then one car just le- missed out in qualifying with Sonoda. And then in the race, obviously, Gasly had his problems. So you've got to do it when it counts, especially in that midfield when it's this intense. So, yeah, big missed opportunity, I think, for Alfatari. But Sonoda, points on debut, first driver to do that since Stoffel van Dorn, the same circuit in 2016. Last lap pass of Lance Stroll along the way to, to get that position. He was kicking himself a little bit after the race for, for making a few poor decisions on the first lap. Because he got he was shuffled down, so he's down in sixteenth place. So not ideal. And Andy was kicking himself after qualifying as well for not being able to get the medium tires to work at the C threes in in Q two. So he he was down uh, down the grid. But Mark, this he's made a big impact and a big impression, hasn't he? To know that he we expected this coming into the weekend, and and he's justified some of that excitement. Even though I think we've only seen a a little glimpse of what he can do. Yeah, we've seen little snapshots of it, and we we can see that when he when he does get it to, to put it all together, it's going to be spectacular. Um, he is um, incredibly quick when when it all hooks up, and he, I just love his attitude. Um, just full on, full positive, full attack, and um, before qualifying, it looked quite feasible that he might. You know, qualify fourth or fifth or something like that. He generally, when when everything was running well, he generally had an edge on Ga- even Gasly in, in speed. And um, he was asked at one point uh, what his target was for the race. He said P one, <laughs> which which was fantastic. I think you know, even even if he um, even if he didn't believe it, I, I don't know if he did or not. But it was it's just such a refreshing thing to to hear a, a rookie say, isn't it? And um, yeah, he's going to be. Uh, I think he's going to have a huge following of fans very quickly. Yeah, I, I like drivers like that. He's to the point. He's not making excuses. And straight after the race, he had a list of things he could improve. That's absolutely what you want to see in drivers, and that that's what drivers who have who have big potential potential do. 
circling back around into this midfield group, Leclerc was six, Ricardo seventh, Carlos Sainz eight on his Ferrari debut mark. He should, he seemed fairly happy with the the progress he'd made. Obviously, he was out qualified by Leclerc. Didn't get the most from the car in in qualifying, but you know, good solid points on the board start for him. Yeah, he's another one of those drivers um, that we talk, I was talking about earlier. I forgot to include him in the list. It's just not quite keyed in there yet. Um, but he did uh, very good, um, some very good race simulations on the on the long, on, fr- on Friday. Um, he seemed to have a a more instant uh, direction with to go to go with the car than Leclerc did. Um, and he just when it came to just uh, trying to extract that last little bit. In Q3, it just wasn't quite there. He attacked and had a moment and then tried to recover the moment by pushing hard and that overworked his tyres for the rest of the lap. And so that, you know, it was all spoiled um, by trying to strive for that last little bit that's just not quite there yet. But I think a very promising beginning. And um, he's got his work cut out with, um, with with the guy on the other side of the garage, but he knows that. Um, and he's... he's uh, intelligent guy he'll he'll work it he'll work it out he'll find his way through there and that brings us to aston martin scott lance stroll picked up a point for for 10th place fairly hard earned point even though he lost that place to sonoda on the, the last lap he said he struggled on the the last set of tires he was on hards for the for the final stint obviously very very difficult first weekend for sebastian vettel out in q1 penalty so started at the back Collision with Esteban Ocon, so not not a great weekend for for Vettel first time out. And overall, Aston Martin really have some work to do, don't they? Yeah, they do. There's um, they they can't hide behind this um, this suggestion that the new regulations have impacted them and Mercedes more than anyone else because they're running this low rake aero philosophy. The Otmar Zafnauer, the team principal, has gone to that well a couple of times over the course of the weekend. And if that is the case, and the evidence does suggest that it might be, then obviously it's going to hit Aston hard in that midfield because it's very close. But we watched Mercedes win the race with um with a with, with a low rate car. So a low rate car can obviously do a damn sight better than what the um, the AMR twenty one is at the moment. I still think they're as a team paying the price for their struggles in pre season. I don't think it was just Vettel that lost lost mileage uh, lost mileage to that. Um, but they clearly need Vettel to find his feet because I, despite all of the optimism around him, I don't th- I just don't think you can trust Lance Stroll to lead that. Lead, lead a team in that mid in that midfield. I think he's still got, I think he's still got too many sort of edges to smooth out and just sort of just improve as a as as a driver. There was some good moments from Lance in that race, but just overall, it's not quite there. So yeah, this was a this was a difficult debut for the team as Aston Martin. I guess the only um, the only upside is it was still a bit more successful than the last time Aston Martin was on the F1 grid. <laughs> yeah, that's that's a positive way to to look at it. But Mark, that incident from Vettel with Ocon, he was complaining over the radio about Ocon moving in the, the braking zone. He did seem to backtrack a little bit on that after the race. I asked him a few questions about it and he, he didn't want to go, seemed to want to go too uh, too aggressive on that. So is this just another one of those, the, those trademark Vettel misjudgments? 
Well, it did look like that. It reminded me of that movie tried on Verstappen at Vale at Silverstone that time, where he just... Um, Oof, that was bad. <laughs> he, he, you know, just tried too late to, uh, you know, realised too late that he'd, um, he'd, he'd, he'd committed to uh, to a move that, that, that wasn't going to work. So, you know, Ocon had passed him cleanly. Ocon stayed straight. Uh, he didn't. He didn't move in the breaking area. Seb just cut back and lost his front downforce and locked up and hit him. And that's that's all that happened. So yeah, it was just a bit of misjudgment, um, which can happen, and we we see it from Seb quite a lot, especially when he's um, battling down in the where he feels he, he he shouldn't be. Yeah, but first weekend, like you said, one of those group of drivers who's playing catch up so he can he can probably chalk this one down to experience and uh and try and get back into the swing of things more Emily certainly didn't look Vettel at his best on track and fully 100% with the car but I think things will will improve as he kept saying he's, he's still not uh, 100% with it Fernando Alonso had a fairly lively race Scott for as long as it lasted before he retired with some brake problems from a little bit of debris uh, caught up in the car so perhaps not as competitive an Alpine as he hoped, but at least he was racy. Yeah, that's true. He doesn't seem to have lost any of his um, uh, savviness. There, there were a couple of moments where, uh, there was one moment in particular where he made a bit of a misjudgment uh, in, in, in battle. But I think the fact that he was in that group with um, uh, with, with the other teams and with more experienced uh well, I say more experienced drivers, you know what I mean? Drivers that haven't been sat on the Grand Prix sidelines for the last couple of years. Drivers who weren't in the rookie test um, only a few months ago. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, I, I think that would have been really good um, experience for him. I didn't see, uh, especially early on, there, there didn't seem to be huge signs of rustiness on Alonso's part. It, and the big disappointment will be uh, less about of the outright pace and I think at this stage of Alonso's comeback it'll be the fact that they had this debris that caused the brakes to overheat um, and prevented him from getting a full race distance under his belt because I think that would have gone a long way to just you know making sure that Alonso's back to full sharpness as soon as possible but we've already seen enough glimpses this weekend that oh god he's just a tenacious genius isn't he when he's at his best just hauling that car into the top 10 in qualifying and then just a couple of the moves early on in the race, he uh, he looks like he's going to be uh, back to full fitness pretty quickly. Yeah, and certainly he'd have been able to, uh, to get a reasonable result, not what he was looking for, but he was on course for to at least get on the board, wasn't he, Mark? Yeah, absolutely. It was a very solid start, I thought. Um, we lost the sort of uh, reference of Ocon because of the, the latter going out in Q1. Um, he'd been trailing Ocon a bit. Um, up to that point, but at the same time, he was he was already making steady progress on that. He was his deficit to Ocon was coming down all the time. So I, I don't think it's a given that he had Ocon got a clear run, he would have outqualified him. I, th- I think it was starting to get quite even. Um, so yeah, I think not 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 bad at all. You'd he, be very encouraged by that. Um, well, he is very encouraged by that. We, we spoke after the after the race on Zoom um, and. Yeah, I think um, he's. I think he's looking forward to the to the fight that's coming because he feels that there's some pretty obvious areas where they can improve the car and some pretty obvious areas where he can improve himself. And he thinks that in, 
given how close that bit of part of the grid is, um, that, that might take them up in some quite interesting territory if uh, if they can both make the gains. Um, so let's see. Yeah, and if we just round up some of the finishers outside the points, Kimi Räikkönen eleventh, Antonio Giovinazzi twelfth. So Alfa Romeo a little bit stronger than they were last year, not quite able to be in the points. Giovinazzi was a bit unlucky actually because he was running tenth in the first stint. He lost some ground through the first stops. Asked him about this after the race, and he said there was a little bit of a problem at the the pit stop. He, <laughs> he did ask if he was allowed to say what it was, but he said there was some kind of mix up with the tyres. So, although I haven't seen the footage of it, it sounds like there was a little bit of uh, chaos going on as they worked out which set of tyres to, uh, to to put on his car. So he ended up twelfth, but he was the stronger Alpha driver that weekend. Although Raikkonen had a, had a decent solid race, and then Ocon thirteenth place had some damage after that hit from. Battle, and he just said he just wanted to get the car home, just to show there was a little bit of a bit of fighting, <laughs> fighting in the Alpine team. But we should say his pace was decent. Elimination in Q one, thirteenth and damage in the race looks like a disastrous start to an important season for him. But I think he, he had quite a little bit of misfortune. He picked up that yellow flag for Carlos Sainz's car in Q one that led to him uh, to him dropping out. Uh, George Russell, 14th place ahead of Vettel and Mick Schumacher. Russell, of course, still complaining about the problems with the wind. Sensitivity for the car. Felt he had a pretty decent race. Maybe one stint went on a little bit longer than it should have done, but that was about what the the Williams was capable of. And, of course, Mick Schumacher, good, solid, methodical run through the weekend. We should briefly mention Nikita Mazepin had four spins during practice and qualifying. The final one in qualifying was a break-by-wire problem, so he can be let off uh, for that one. And then crashing coming off turn two into turn three in the race. So that's a, not a great start for Mazepin, was it, Scott? That, no, bad, bad weekend for, for for Mazepin. He looked miserable the, the whole time. But you've been uh, slightly generous uh, characterising Mick's week, weekend, or uh, at least the race anyway, because the... The off that he had on the opening, uh, not on the opening lap, but on the, the the off he had at the, I think the, the restart was uh, not particularly methodical, shall we say? But hey, he got to the he got to the finish. At least I did. I was worried at one point when I saw his car going off. I was thinking he's um, he's he's tried quite hard to uh, to emulate uh, his dad in having a very short lived Grand Prix debut, but <laughs> fortunately he was able to actually gather it all back up and then uh, crack on. Yeah, the only other driver we, we haven't mentioned was Nicholas Satifi and the other Williams who uh, retired a few laps from the end of the race. He was having problems all the way through with oscillations on the engine power delivery down to a down to a boost leak. So he was struggling all the way, all the way through, really. Already on a hiding to nothing, probably in that car this weekend, and then more problems just made it a fairly difficult race for him. But yeah, Williams about where we expected them to be. So to circle back round, this season opener has given us a lot of what we hope for the big question i guess now is how representative it was and whether we think this this red bull mercedes battle can be the real thing so do you think there's reason to be genuinely excited this something because it'd be easy to say oh well there's all this excitement about red bull but lewis hamilton and mercedes won as they always do but that's a that's a rather cynical uh, way to look at it this is genuinely exciting isn't it yeah I mean, it, it, that that was a win against the odds. That that was that was a, a win against the competitive run of play. The, the, the red the Red Bull Honda was faster all weekend, no question. And what we saw in qualifying wasn't a, a mirage. It was four tenths faster, just just under four tenths faster. Um, 
that's a very handy margin. I suspect it was probably amplified a bit by how the circuit layout punished the Mercedes, but not to the extent of four tenths. So I'm pretty sure that, that we are going to see a very close contest. It's not going to be four tenths worth of um, circuit variation. So uh, yeah, I do think that um, this is this is a real deal. These are very closely matched cars and teams, and we're going to see the um, the Hamilton Verstappen battle we've we've season long battle that we've uh, all been craving for a long time if that's mercedes at its weakest then obviously i can see why people might be concerned and say well they've still managed to win even when they're on the back foot like this but uh i i think there are going to be there are likely going to be other weekends where the rebels only a tenth or two quicker but verstappen wins because that's just it's just going to play out slightly more simply i i i think we've i think this is a really good chance of this season, you know, the battle going the distance. I think we're going to get that fight that we really want. Um, and I also think I'm really encouraged by that race pace from Perez. I think the second Red Bull is going to be in the mix as well. So I think we could just have some really, really fascinating fights and developments and storylines and narratives through even the more, more dull Grand Prix. I think we're going to be having some, some stuff to look out for. And if, if, if a bunch of the other races can be as under, uncertain until the final lap as this one was, then I think we're in for an absolutely brilliant season. Yeah, and all I just want to say is Hamilton and Verstappen just kicking lumps out of each other race weekend after race weekend. One wins one week, the other wins the next week. That's the battle we all want to see and just hope it goes the the distance and it all comes down to, comes down to the, the final race because those are what we remember, those those fantastic championship fights and title deciders. So that was a hell of a way to start the season. Thanks very much, Scott Mitchell and Mark Hughes, for your insights. Head to therace.com and don't forget the hyphen as there's loads of race reaction and analysis there. And, of course, keep your eyes peeled for the multitude of videos we've got planned that will turn up on our YouTube channel. And if you enjoyed this podcast, make sure you're subscribed. And if you so choose, give us a review on your platform of choice. Thanks for joining us. It's going to be a great season and the Race F1 podcast is going to be there all the way.